0: Thank you sir. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you guys. All right. You can be seated. Praise God. Good to be with you tonight. Thank you for coming out. What's cold up here? I don't know who I left in charge of the weather, but you failed. I started to turn around and go back to Texas. No, it's, it's uh, good to be with you. and uh, My first time to meet pastor and we had a wonderful time today uh, after he picked me up at the airport and got to know him a little bit and uh, hope this will not be our last time to be a, in this area. Amen. Uh, David, Stan, David is uh, Eric's brother-in-law and he's with us this week. Give him a good hand. <laughs> Amen. All right, let me give you a little background before I get in the Word tonight because uh, uh some of you indicated this is your first time to hear me. Uh, yesterday was my spiritual birthday. I am 53 years old in the Lord. Hallelujah. Uh, I am, I'm actually 75. Uh, my birthday, you know, my birth birthday was December the 24th, 1946. So Christmas Eve, I turned 75. I know I don't look it, but I am 75. And uh, uh, my wife and I, we actually grew up on the same street. Uh, We've known each other since I was 11 and she was nine. And uh, she told her mother the first time she saw me when we moved in their neighborhood. They already lived in that area. And we moved there in 1957. And she told her mother uh, when I rode by on my bicycle just checking out the new neighborhood, She told her mother, she said, I just saw the boy I'm going to marry. She said, what? She said, I just saw the boy I'm going to marry. And he and I will preach the gospel. We'll go to Africa. We'll be missionaries. And uh, uh, so I I never knew that story. Okay, it's a good thing because I would have never spoken to her again. But anyway, (laughs) and uh, so she told her mother that and, and she held fast to it. And we didn't actually start dating until she was a senior in high school and I was in my second year of college. And I came home one weekend to see my parents and to visit some of the guys I graduated with. We'd all scattered all over the state of Louisiana where we grew up, in different colleges. And we had we had agreed to meet on a certain day two years after graduation to find out what everybody was doing. And so... Uh, I was come home for that, and we had planned to meet at the carousel lounge, and uh, uh, so I was getting ready to drive over there, and I ran into Carolyn, and I hadn't seen her since I'd left home, and I thought, this girl has changed. Is that that same little girl who lived down the road? And uh, I was attracted to her. And so uh, it turns out, instead of me going to the carousel lounge uh, to meet my buddies, I took her to the Dairy Queen. We had malts and shakes and hamburgers. And I said, uh, what are your plans when you graduate? She was just about to graduate. She said, I'm going to a Bible school in San Antonio, Texas for two years. And then as soon as I graduate, I'm going to Africa and I'm going to be a missionary. I thought, wow. Wow. Isn't it amazing how crazy somebody can get in just two years? I thought, why would you want to do that, you know? And uh, I said, okay. So I took her back where I met her. And uh, then I went to the Carousel Lounge. And my buddy said, "Uh, what took you so long? You're late. I said, you don't want to know. And so uh, we spent the evening there. And then I went back to college the next day and couldn't get her off my mind. And now I'm skipping classes and coming home in the middle of the week to see her. I'd show up at her house. She'd come home from school. She said, what are you doing here? I said, I don't know. She said, well, what do you want? I said, I don't know. She said, well, did you come to see your parents? I said, no, I came to see you. She said, well, what do you want? I said, I don't know. (laughs) But I can't get you off my mind. And then I'd turn around and go back to college, you know, drive a couple hundred miles and go back to college And then uh, uh, I got to doing that quite frequently and realized I'm falling in love with her. And so she graduated in May of 1966, and we were married in July of 66. (laughs) Now, the night before our wedding, she told me the story. She said, Jerry, I just want you to know, you don't know this, but I got born again and filled with the Holy Spirit When I was nine years old, the same year you and I met, she said, and I made a vow to God that day that the man I marry will be born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, go to Africa, preach the gospel and go to Africa. I said, Carolyn, you're marrying the wrong man. I'm not going to do any of that. I said, if you marry me, you're going to, you're going to wind up uh, on a racetrack because I'm going to race automobiles. My dad raced automobiles all my young life. I grew up on racetracks. Uh, My dad and I built hot rods and hauled them all over the southern part of the United States, race cars, and that was my goal. I was going to race cars. And I said, if you marry me, you're going to spend the rest of your life on a racetrack. She said, you don't know the power of intercessory prayer. (laughs) I said, I've never heard of it. She said, that doesn't matter. All you got to do is go in there tomorrow night when that preacher says, do you take this woman? All you have to do is say, I do, and me and God will take care of the rest. Well, I knew I loved her, and I wanted to marry her. So the next night, I said, I do. And then she set in on me, and uh, she started praying. And uh, I tried to prove to her that what she said we would be doing would never happen. So three years into our marriage, I was doing what I said I was going to do. My dad and I are hauling race cars. I own my own automotive business. I'm restoring classic cars. I'm building hot rods. I'm living my dream, but in 1969 of February, 1969, 53 years ago, a man by the name of Kenneth Copeland came to Shreveport, Louisiana, and uh, my wife went to every service, three services a day for a week. I'd come home from my shop, and she would begged me to go. I said, Carol, I don't want to go. I, I don't want to hear another preacher. She said, I'm telling you, he's not like all the rest you've heard. I said, well, what makes him so different? She said, I've been in this all my life. I've never heard a preacher like this. I said, Carolyn, you, you say that about all the preachers and they're all just alike. You have made me go to 17 different meetings and you lied 17 times. They're all just alike. All they want is my money and you even bring them home and give them my chicken. I'm gonna write a book someday and call it, all they wanted was my money and my chicken. Because Carolyn fed all the guest preachers. You know, back in that time, preachers didn't stay in hotels, they stayed in people's homes. And, uh, and Carolyn usually, uh, her mother and dad would host the guest speaker and then Carolyn would feed him. And uh, I'd come home and some fat preacher sitting at my table, <laughs> eating the best part of the chicken, all that's left is a gizzard. And, and then, he, then he begs and pleads for money. And after they'd leave my house, I'd say, why don't these guys get a real job? Quit mooching off people. That's what I thought of preachers. <laughs> now our are one. But I don't beg and I don't mooch and never have and never will, praise God. Amen. But uh, Carolyn said, no, this Kenneth Copeland's not like that. I said, well, I'm not going. I don't want to hear him. And she begged me every night to go. Well, I come home in the evening. The last thing I want to do is go hear a preacher. I got bondo dust from head to toe, grease from one end to the other. All I want to do is take a shower, have something to eat, and watch television. And so I said, I'm not going. And she went every service. And finally the last night that he was there, she said, would you please go tonight? And then she made this statement. If you go tonight and you don't like this preacher, then I'll never ask you to go again. I said, you promise? If I don't like him, I will never have to go again. She said, I promise. I said, now that's the deal I've been waiting on. I'm going. I said, I'll be back in just a minute. I would and take a shower, put on some clean clothes. And I said, now you promise if I don't like him, I'll never have to go again. I, I promise. And she was that confident that I was going to like him. So on the way to the church, I said, now who is this guy you want me to hear? She said, Kenneth Copeland. I said to myself, Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Copeland. I kept saying that, Kenneth Copeland. And then I said to her, I know who that is. She said, how would you know Kenneth Copeland? You don't go to church. I said, well, I don't know him, but I I know of a man named Kenneth Copeland. She said, well, how would you know of, of a man named Kenneth Copeland? I said, in 1957, there was a man on the radio had a hit song in the top 20, called the pledge of love and his name was Kenneth Copeland. I said, I even remember the words to the song and I I sang it to her. She said, it's not the same man. I said, well, have you asked him? Has he mentioned it? She said, no, I haven't even met the man. I said, well, I'm going for two reasons tonight. Number one, if I don't like him, I never have to go again. Now, if I'm still there by the end of the service I'm going to ask him if he was the same guy who had that hit record on the radio called the Pledge of Love. I'd like to be right one time. Are there any of their husbands in here like to be right one time? Don't lift your hand. Your wife's looking. Okay. So I went and I said, now we're going to sit on the back row just as close to the door as we can get. And the moment I don't like him, I'm going to get up and leave and you get home the best way you can. She said, if that's what it takes. I got friends here. They'll take me home. So I sat there on the back row, as close as the exit that I could get. Oh, about first five minutes into his sermon, I wasn't that impressed. But 15 minutes into his sermon, he just stopped, came off the platform and said, this has absolutely nothing to do with my sermon. But I guess somebody in here needs to hear this. In 1957, I had a hit record on the radio called The Pledge of Love. He said, I was headed for rock and roll stardom. Dick Clark had set up a tour for everybody in the top 20. Little Richard, Fats Domino. We were all going on tour to promote our song. And he said, my mama was praying. She knew that was not the will of God for me. She knew I was supposed to be a preacher. And and he said, and as it turned out, I didn't get to go on the tour, and uh, by the time the tour was over with, uh, people forgot my name, forgot my record, and uh, and then I finally surrendered my life to the Lord, and I'm in and I've been preaching ever since. He said, "Now I don't that I don't know why I said that. I guess somebody needs to hear it." Well, he said it for me, because now I'm right on the edge of my seat, <laughs> taking in everything he said, and my wife was right. I'd never heard anybody like him before. In fact, when he got through preaching, I turned to her and I said, John Wayne has finally come to the pulpit. (laughs) I mean, he walked up there so matter of fact, he even walked like John Wayne, you know? I mean, he he walked up there and the closing, his closing remarks was this. If you believe it, it'll work. If you don't, it won't. Good night, I'm out of here. I thought, where's this guy been all my life? And she was right. Well, I didn't go forward during the service, but when I got home that night, I I couldn't sleep. And 3 o'clock in the morning, February the 11th, I went into my living room, lifted both hands. I said, God, I don't know why you still want me. I've been running from you all my life. I heard the call of God when I was a young boy watching Oral Roberts on television. But I never told a soul about that, not even my family. Because God was following up my plans. I thought, if I ever voice this, I'll have to do it. So I never told a soul. But you know, the Bible says the, the, the callings of God are without repentance. God, God set me up with Carolyn. And then set me up in that service with Kenneth Copeland that night. And I said, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll shut my business down. And I I was living my dream of that business. That's all I'd ever wanted to do. And uh, I said, I'll shut my business down. I'll go to the seminary if that's what you want me to do. I'll live for you. I'll preach. I'll I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And uh, so from that moment, uh, my life was totally changed. Now, little did I know, little did I know, about three months later, Kenneth Copeland came back to uh, do a second meeting there. Well, now this time, I'm a believer. I'm I'm, I'm excited about him coming. I could hardly wait for him to get there. Somebody had given me the reel-to-reel tapes of that first meeting, and I'd been listening to them. And so I can hardly wait for him to get there. Well, as it turned out, he had an accident in his car, coming from Fort Worth to Shreveport, Louisiana. And he wiped out the whole left side of this brand new 65, uh, 69 Pontiac Bonneville. And when he got to the church, he asked the pastor, do you know anybody that can repair my car while I'm here this week? Do you know anybody in the church that does body work? He said, well, there's a young man that's uh, married to a girl that grew up in our church, and that's what he did. Uh, he, he's he's." Uh, preparing for the ministry now but uh, I'll, I'll ask her to ask him so he asked my wife and I, so I told the pastor I said tell Brother Copeland I'll repair his car for him now I didn't have my business but I, I could do it at my home and uh, I said I'll repair it for him and I'll have it ready for him by the end of the week so I didn't get to go to the day service he did three services a day everywhere he went so I didn't get to go to the end of the day services because I was working on his car I went to the evening services. And uh, one day he came over to watch me. Now I'm, I'm down, squatting down. I just replaced the quarter panel. And, and now I'm, I'm filing it. And I'm squatted down. And he walks up. And he's looking at me. He's got the most piercing eyes you've ever seen in your life. I couldn't look at him. I thought he can read every thoughts in my head, <laughs> and my mind hadn't been renewed yet, you know. So, <laughs> not all them thoughts for good thoughts, you know. <clears throat> and I thought, what is he doing here? And finally, I put the grinder down. I said, uh, "Is there something you need to know?" He said, "No, I just wanted to watch you." I said, "Well, do you mind if I ask you some questions?" He said, "No, not at all." Well, see, I I made a determination, I'm going to live by faith. And I didn't know anybody who had made that decision. I'm sure there were a lot of people that had, but the only one I knew who talked about it, who seemed to know something about it was Kenneth Copeland. And I said, can I ask you some questions about this life of faith? He said, yeah. So I, I asked him questions for about an hour and he was gracious to answer my question. He said, now I've got to go and get prepared for the evening service. You going to be there tonight? I said, yes, sir. So uh, that night got to the service and I'm sitting about right where you are. And uh, Brother Copeland started preaching. And then he did it again. 15 minutes into his sermon, he just stopped. He said, I've got to obey God. Jerry, stand up. Now I was really surprised he even remembered my name. He said, Jerry, stand up. I stood up not knowing what he was going to do. He said, I was in prayer today and God showed me that you and I will be a team and we're going to spend the rest of our lives together preaching the word of faith all over the world and it'll be your responsibility to believe God for the perfect timing for the team to begin. Set out. And then he went on with his sermon. <laughs> I leaned over to my wife because I'm, I'm three months old in the Lord. I said, what did all that mean? She said, I think we're moving to Fort Worth, Texas. I said, why would we want to do that? She said, he said, you're going to be a team and you're going to spend the rest of your lives preaching together all over the world. I thought, wow, the man that brought the gospel to me that changed my life and now we're going to be a team. That never crossed my mind, but what a privilege. Shortly after that, I moved to Fort Worth. And you have to understand, Brother Copeland, when I moved to Fort Worth, he'd only been in the ministry three years uh, when I moved there. Actually, not quite three years. And uh, so he's he's relatively new on the scene. Not a whole lot of people knew Kenneth Copeland as a minister. And so I got to start with him in those early days when we would go to cities to preach, and there might be 50 people in an evening service. Uh, There might be 10 or 15 in a day service. And I've got to watch all these years. We've been preaching together now for over 52 years out of my 53 years. And we've preached all over the world. Now, we have separate ministries, but we're still a team after all these years. Isn't that amazing? I call that the favor of God. Go ahead and touch me, Pastor, it'll be all right. Amen. (laughs) That, that's when this favor began to, to manifest in my life and it's been doing it ever since. Amen. So that's a little bit of background of uh, where I come from and, and what I've been doing over the last 53 years. Uh, we have offices around the world, staff around the world. Uh, God has been good to us. Uh, in fact, he's, I, I say sometimes, And a lot of people have now picked up on it. I say, I don't know why I'm God's favorite child or just am. He's been so good to me, he makes me feel that way. You know? And you want to feel that way. How many of you can say, God has been so good to me? Amen. He just makes me feel like I've got to be his favorite child. Now, you do come a close second, but I am his favorite child. (laughs) Amen. All right, you have your Bibles with you tonight? Let's open them to Psalm 145. Psalm 145. Let me have a little bit of water. Thank you. As Eric mentioned when he uh, was making the announcements there. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, well, let me let me back up just a little bit. I won't take long in doing this. Back in 1991, uh, preaching with Brother Copeland in the Fort Worth or West... Uh, Southwest Believers Convention. On Thursday night, after he introduced me, he started to walk off the platform and he suddenly stopped and turned around and said, wait a minute, Jerry, before you start, the word of the Lord's come to me. And he began to prophesy over me. And one of the things he said is quite lengthy prophecy. And one of the things he said was, God is moving you into a new dimension of ministry beginning tonight. And he said, God is going to move you into the office of the seer, which is part of the prophetic office. He said, God is going to begin to show you things in the Spirit, things to come, and will hold you responsible for sharing them with the body of Christ wherever he might send you. And he went on with some other things. It's quite lengthy. I won't talk about that. But from that moment, that's, what has been happening? Brother Kenneth Hagin prophesied over me a short time after that. I was with him in Riverside, California, and he prophesied very almost word for word uh, the same thing. And then shortly after that, Brother Oral Roberts prophesied over me almost word for word the same thing. So since that time, since, since uh, August of 1991, I have deliberately spent quality time during the month of October, seeking the Lord as to what is on his agenda for the coming new year. And I've done that every year since 1991. Sometimes that word comes to me during my first hour with him. Sometimes it's a matter of a few days. But he's never failed to give me a word in season for the coming new year. And then I take that and I preach it all over the world. In fact, there are churches that we've established around the world, uh, pastors that, other pastors that I didn't establish their church, but they consider me an apostolic authority in their church. And they they eagerly await that word. And, and, and once they hear it, they start preaching it to their congregations as well. All over the world. Well, this past year in October, as I was praying and seeking the Lord as to what's on his agenda for 2022. Now, there are a lot of people who say, you mean God will tell you that? Well, of course he will. That's part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, when the spirit of truth has come, he will not only lead and guide you into truth, but he will show you things to come. That's part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Amen? I don't know about you, but I like to be an insider. You know, when I first when I first came to the Lord, as I mentioned in 1969, I had not read the Bible prior to that. I, I was familiar with a few Bible stories, you know, heard them when I was a kid. But I had not read the Bible for myself. I, I didn't know that you could actually live by it, you know? And, uh, but when I when I started reading the Bible for myself, I was shocked and I went and told my wife, I said, Carolyn, and she'd been in this since she's nine years old. I said, did you know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote the same story? She said, is that all you've learned since you've been in that bedroom? I said, I didn't know that. She said, I've known that since I was nine. And she laid her hands right on my forehead and said, go on back in there. God's going to teach you something. (laughs) And so that's how scripturally illiterate I was. But then I came across that verse where the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, he will not only lead and guide you into all truth, he will show you things to come. And then I noticed this about the ministry of Jesus. It seemed to me, as I studied the Gospels, now there were 12 disciples, as you know, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it seemed like, I'm, I'm sorry, Peter, Luke, and John, it seemed to me like they were the insiders. They were the ones who heard things before the others heard it. It seemed like to me, they wanted to be around Jesus all the time. Remember what uh, it says in the book of Acts, uh, talking about some of the early believers, it says they had had been with Jesus. Well, it seemed to me like there were certain disciples that, that just wanted to be around him all the time. And they heard things before the others heard it, okay? So I saw that and I said, Lord, I want to be an insider. I don't want to be the last one to find out what you're up to. I want to hear it in advance. Amen. And so since that time, the Lord has given me what I call a prophetic word that I teach all over the world once I hear it, and I don't change it until he says otherwise. So coming into 2022, during the month of October of 2021, the Lord said to me, Tell the people that in 2022, I will open my hand and I will provide for those who will not be moved by all the chaos and all the disorder, supernatural, extraordinary, and unusual provision. As Eric said, every time I would pray, I'd see this hand come out of heaven. I said, Lord, what what is this? Well, uh, it wasn't long after that that. Uh, the Lord said, that's what I want you to make your theme, the hand of God, the open hand of God. If you study your Bible closely, and we'll look at some scripture here, most of the time when you see the phrase, the hand of God, it represents provision. It represents provision. Now, the Bible says in Habakkuk or Habakkuk, however you want to pronounce it, <coughs> write the vision." Make it plain so he that reads it can run with it. So every year since 1991, once I receive that prophetic word, the first place I take it is my own church. I founded a church in the Fort Worth area uh, 20 years ago. I'm the worst attending member because I'm always gone, but we have some wonderful pastors that oversee it. But once I receive that word in October, then the first place I preach it is my own church, And I spend about three Sundays there talking about it. And then I also have my art department at the ministry print up these cards to give every member. I want them to to keep it before them. Because I want it happening to every member. 2022. The open hand of God. Look at that hand. And underneath it, supernatural, extraordinary. An unusual provision. Now, that's what we keep before us all the time. Every member of my staff has this. Most of them have it on their desk. We keep it before us all the time. And consequently, every year, the prophetic word I preach that I receive from the Lord comes to pass for us. Thank you for your enthusiasm. (laughs) Now, I've had people say, well, Brother Jerry, that didn't come to pass for me. Well, apparently you don't do what we do. See, uh, a lot of people they'll hear me preach it, and maybe they'll be inspired, you know. And uh, but inspiration is wonderful, but you can lose it before you get to the car. Amen. Now I I learned today that pastor has been a former bodybuilder, and and I asked him. I said. Yeah, former bodybuilder. <clears throat> now he just has a body. Okay. But anyway, <laughs> and, uh, so I asked him cause I, I've, I've had the privilege over the years of, of meeting a lot of professional athletes. I've done chapel services for many of the professional football teams. And, and I, I mentor a lot of professional athletes and, uh, I asked him if he'd ever known or, or knew of a man by the name of Dennis Tenorino. Now, Dennis was a former Mr. Universe, and he's from New York, but he lived in California uh, most of his, uh, the latter part of his life and because uh, he was competing there with Joe Weeder and all those guys, Lou Ferrigno and Arnold Schwarzenegger and all those guys. And so I met Dennis right after he got born again. And a friend of mine who had competed against Dennis asked me, and he was born again now, asked me if I would mentor Dennis because Dennis felt he was called to full-time ministry. So I did. Dennis came and traveled with me all over the country and I mentored him. Well, one time, (laughs) talking about inspiration, one time uh, Dennis called me. He said, Brother Jerry, now, he talked like Rocky Balboa, bro, your brother Jerry, you know. And he said, uh, I'm, coming to, I'm coming to Texas, and I've, I've developed a program for you and, and your colleagues who travel all the time. He said, most of you preachers are out of shape. Most of you fat. You don't eat right. You don't exercise he said, we need you people here for a long time to teach us. So I have come up with a program that you can use at home and you can use on the road. He said, I'm going to come and introduce it to you and then you can share it with your colleagues. I said, okay, when are you coming? He said, next week. I said, okay, let me know all the details and I'll meet you out at Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. This is back when you can meet people at the gate before 9-11. And, and I said, I'll meet you at the gate and you'll stay home with us, stay in my home, and uh, we'll start this exercise program. So, you know, it's not every day that Mr. Universe wants to be your personal trainer. And so, uh, I I went down to the uh, sporting goods store, bought all the latest Nike equipment. You gotta look good when you're working out with Mr. Universe. You can't wear them trashy cut-off shorts, you know? And so I got all the latest Nike stuff. I even turned my garage into World Gym, bought all the stuff. And then I went and picked Dennis up at DFW. Now, Dennis is like this 22 and a half inch biceps. That's bigger than my thighs. <laughs> and he came off that airplane in DFW with this bright red T-shirt. And on the front of it, it says, Super Bodies by Tenorino. Everybody in the airport stopped and looked at him. He's like this. Nobody should look that good. (laughs) Unless it would be me, you know. I mean, he, everybody in that airport stopped just to look at him and he, he's got this bright red T-shirt on, white letters, Superbodies by Tenerino. So I went up and greeted him, you know, and I noticed he had another T-shirt in his hand, and he pitched that one over to me and he said, yo, Brother Jerry, put on this shirt and call things to be not as though they were. <laughs> so I put on my Superbody T-shirt and we walked out of the airport together and they're gawking at him and laughing at me. Look like Hercules and Pee Wee Herman, you know. (laughs) So, so uh, we we're we're on our way back to my home. That's a good forty-five minutes from DFW to my house, and so he's going over this program with me. I said, Dennis, what are we going to eat? He said, You brought some wheat germ. I brought this, I brought. I said, No, seriously, Dennis, what are we going to eat? He said, You're not you're not going to eat like you used to. I've got a program. I've got your meals set out for you. I thought, I oh, wish to God he hadn't come. <laughs> He's filing up everything. And he said, now in the morning we're gonna start. Six o'clock with some stretching exercises. So we got home. We had a good evening that night. Then we all went to bed. I set my alarm for five o'clock. I could hardly wait to get up. I mean who gets to train with Mr. Universe? And so <clears throat> I set my alarm. I beat the alarm up. I got all my Nike stuff on. I walked out into the living room, and there's Mr. Universe lacing up his tennis shoes. And he had this smile on his face. It should have given me a clue <laughs> that this is going to hurt. <laughs> Yo, Jerry, let's begin our stretching exercise. So we went through all this and then the stuff he had me eat tastes like cardboard. (laughs) I said, Dennis, when do we eat real food? He said, No, you're not, you're not gonna eat like you used to eat. You're gonna eat what I brought you. So he stayed with me a couple of weeks. The next day, after that first day, I set my alarm. I didn't even hear it go off. Next thing I knew was my wife with her foot in my back saying, turn that alarm off. I didn't even hear it. She said, turn the alarm off. I reached over to turn it off and my arm wouldn't work. I said, Carolyn, pray I'm paralyzed. She took her both feet and pushed me out of bed. I'm on the floor and I can't get on my Nike stuff. I can't get my arms up higher than this. She had to get out of bed And help dress me. Amen. And when I got out there, excuse me, and Dennis saw the condition I was in, he said, no pain, no gain. No pain, no gain. I said, Dennis, I must be gaining because I'm in some serious painting here, boy. He said, we'll work that out. Well, he spent two weeks with me. Now, he gave me some photos of him when he was competing for Mister Universe. They're unreal what this man looked like. He framed him, or he gave him me, and I had him framed, put him in my gym, where I could see him for inspiration. <laughs> okay. So when it came time for him to leave, <clears throat> I took him back to DFW. I walked him to the gate. I stood there and watched him get on the airplane. I saw the airplane back up. I saw it go down the taxiway. I watched it take off, and then I went to the nearest Mexican restaurant I could get, <laughs> and they all knew me in there. Hey, brother Jerry, I said, uh, "Don't don't bring me a menu. Bring me everything on page one. Everything." Now, I was inspired, but as soon as Dennis left, inspiration left too. And you notice I don't look like him, okay? I still have the picture up in my gym, but I just go by and slap it and say hi. I don't need to look like that. I'm pretty as I am, okay? So inspiration is wonderful, but you can lose it before you get to the car. Amen? Amen. Now, my reason for saying that, I have people that say, well, Brother Jerry, I I heard that word you preached and I took notes on it in the service you preached it, but it didn't come to pass for me and I was really fired up. I was inspired about it, but what happened when adversity came? What happened when it didn't look like that could ever come to pass? Most people let go of it. Amen. I hear people talking it in my presence, but what are they saying when they leave? Yeah. 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 Amen. Amen. See, I, I, don't, I don't do this occasionally. This is life for me. It's 24-7 for me. I get up talking this. I talk it all day long. I talk it before I go to bed. I wake up in the middle of the night talking it. Amen. Amen. It's 24 seven. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter four, verse two, the word did not profit them because they didn't mix faith with it when they heard it preached. You know, some people, and I'm I'm not trying to be critical, but some people, you know, they might leave here tonight and say, wasn't that a good little sermon that little preacher gave us? And that's the last you hear of it. But then there's others. Or they get it. You know, I mean, they get so excited, they feel like biting the back out of the chair in front of them, you know, and, and they, can, they can hardly wait to get home and, and put it to work. Amen. That's the kind of people that see results. How many of you like results? I like results. I like results. And so, Pastor, I want to give that one to you if you'd like to have it. Amen. Amen. Psalm 145, and this is where the Lord led me when he said, I will open my hand and cause supernatural, extraordinary, and unusual provision for those who will not be moved by all the chaos and all the disorder that is happening in the world today. Look at Psalm 145, and let's begin with verse 8. The Lord is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Drop down to verse 14. The Lord upholdeth all that fall, and raiseth up all those that be bowed down. The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Now look at this, verse 16. Thou openest thy hand, and satisfy the desire Of every living thing. So notice when you see the phrase God opens his hand, it's usually symbolic of supernatural provision. Supernatural provision. Our God is a supernatural God. God is capable of providing even in the worst of times. You know, 2020, my last meeting in 2020 before the pandemic was in Denver, Colorado, March of 2020. I preached on a Saturday night, Sunday morning and Sunday night in the same church. And then after the service, uh, I flew home. And the next morning was when all this broke, the coronavirus and all this stuff broke. Well, I was scheduled about a week later to be all over Europe. And then after that, about... Two months later, I was scheduled to be all over Africa. Had to cancel all those meetings. Had to cancel all of my church tours across the U.S. and Canada. Uh, and I didn't travel again from March until August. I was home. I told my wife, I said, this is the longest vacation I've had in 50 years. <laughs> it was wonderful. Now, it, what, I I'm not saying I didn't do anything. I made television programs. I... You know, I had a lot of things to do, but I didn't travel. Now, I did did do meetings with Brother Copeland. We did his victory campaigns from the Eagle Mountain Church. They were called virtual victory campaigns. He couldn't go out of town, but we did those meetings and people watched them by live stream and so forth. But the only place I went from March until August was across town to Brother Copeland's ministry. But... From March until August, we had the absolute finest year we'd ever had in 50 years of ministry. In the middle of a pandemic, we broke all records. I mean, God did, he did, no, he outdid himself. (laughs) He's always taken care of me, but I'd never experienced the breakthroughs like we had from March until August. And by the end of that year, the end of 2020, we broke every record in the history of the ministry. Then going into 2021, we even topped that, broke all those previous records. And the first quarter of this year, we're doing the same thing, hallelujah. That goes to show me that if you will not be moved by all the chaos, and all the disorder that is happening in your world around you, God will open his hand and cause supernatural provision to come to you regardless of what's happening with everybody else. Amen. They're all screaming worst of times. I'm screaming best of times. Hallelujah. And it can be that way for you as well. God's no respecter of persons. But it's not going to happen if you're not going to stay in faith. Amen. Amen. It's impossible to please God without faith. Amen. Amen. You know, I had somebody tell me not too long ago, Brother Jerry, every time I watch CNN, I get depressed. Every time I watch CNN, I walk away thinking there's no hope. I said, I know what you you need to do. What? I said, didn't you hear the story about the, the man who went to the doctor one time? and said, Doc, boy, it really hurts when I lift my hand up like this. And the doctor said, well, don't do that. <laughs> that, was, that was the solution. I said, I got a solution for you. Stop watching CNN. Faith does not come by watching CNN. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Yeah. Now, something does come by watching CNN. Dread, fear. Depression. Amen. So I don't watch it. You mean you don't keep up with what's happening in the world? I didn't say that. But I get my information from the Holy Ghost. Okay, I lost my crowd on this side. Let me try over here. There's, a, there's always somebody trying to shove everything down my throat. Did you hear No, I didn't. Did you watch the news tonight? No, I didn't. Did you read? No, I didn't. Well, how are you going to know what's happening in the world? I know what's happening in the world. Perilous times. (laughs) Paul talked about it in his writings to Timothy. Perilous times shall come. Amen. That's what we're in, perilous times. But you got to go down to verse 14. He tells you the solution to it. But continue in the things which you have learned. In other words, even though perilous times are taking place, that doesn't mean that you have to be destroyed by them. Continue in what you've learned. Now, if you haven't learned anything, boy, you got a serious problem. <clears throat> it's not too late to learn, but you got you got a lot of catching up to do. I'm still acting on the principles I learned 53 years ago. And one of the first things I learned, you're not going to like this, most of you. Watch thy mouth. You're you're snared by the words of your mouth. You're taken captive by the words of your mouth. By your words, you are condemned. By your words, you are justified. I don't believe my words have anything to do with it, Brother Jerry. Well, the Bible says it does. And if I got to pick one, I'm picking the Bible. Amen? Amen. Amen. I had a lady tell me not too long ago, you mean, Brother Jerry, we got to go back to watching what we say? I said, lady, why'd you ever stop? This This is not like... You know, something you learned in high school, passed the test, and now you never had to pick up another book about it, never had to talk about it again. This, this, this is not, you know, like courses in high school. This is something you, you apply all of your life. Amen. You don't, you don't say, okay, I learned that message from Kenneth Hagin about you can have what you say. Now let's move on to something else. And let go of that revelation. You know, my, my father-in-law was a builder. He, he built uh, custom homes. And he asked me one time to <clears throat> go out and work with him one time. Now, I don't know anything about building a house. I work on cars. He said, well, come, come work with me a couple, uh, for a week. And so I went out with him and, and he was uh, building some new custom homes. I said, well, Olin, there's not a thing I know about building homes. All I can do is be a gopher. I'll go for this and go for that. Just tell me what to do. And so, first thing he had me doing was driving stakes to lay the form for the foundation. So we did that all day. And then after we got that done, they came in and they poured the foundation. And then we took away all the the stakes and the lumber that set up for the foundation. And he said, now, boys, we're going to go up with the walls. But I noticed that he did not say, now, boys, it's time to build the walls, get your sledgehammers and bust up all this concrete. It's time to build the walls. No, you don't destroy the foundation, you build on the foundation. Your foundation, your house is only as good as the foundation. Can anybody agree with that? He didn't, he didn't say, okay, now it's time to move on to something new, bust up all this concrete, and let's build walls. No, we build on the foundation. Foundation, to me, was when I heard Kenneth Copeland say for the first time in 1969, Put a guard over your vocabulary. Watch your mouth. I'll never forget what he said. Some of you don't need a devil, your own worst enemy. You are your own worst enemy by what you say. And I've noticed in my travels here recently that a lot of Christians are now loose with their conversation. They're talking what the world says rather than what the Bible says. If you can't say amen, say oh me, it's still true. (laughs) Amen. Amen. There and and it's getting them in trouble again, just like it did before. That's the reason. I have this guard over my vocabulary. I don't talk unbelief. I don't talk sickness and disease. I don't talk poverty, lack, and won't. I don't talk failure and defeat. I quit talking that way 53 years ago. And guess what? I'm a winner today, praise God. I'm winning in life, hallelujah. And it's all because of that foundation from the Word of God. I'm still watching what I say. I'm still guarding my vocabulary. Amen. Are you still here? So, Notice here it says, The Lord opens His hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing. Once again, the open hand of God represents supernatural, extraordinary, and unusual provision. In uh, the Passion Translation, I love this. Anybody have the Passion Translation? It says, for Psalm 145, verse 16, when you open your hand, it's full of blessings. When God opens his hand, it's full of blessings. Amen. You know, every once in a while, uh, I'll, I, I'll come across someone and uh, they, don't, they don't know I've done it. but I'll just reach in my pocket before I shake hands with them and I'll have some money in my hand, and I'll just reach over and shake hands with them. Say, good to see you again, and walk away. And they said, well, how did you know I needed that? They were saying, well, you opened your hand, and it was full of blessing. Well, I've been hanging around God so long, I'm acting like him, hallelujah. Amen. Amen. When God opens his hands, it's full of blessings. Uh, Brother Oral Roberts, I was one of my mentors and one of my favorite people on the planet. I love Oral Roberts. I served on his board for over 20 years. And uh, he spent time in my home. I spent time in his home. And his son Richard and I are still very close today and preach together quite often. And Brother Roberts, I learned this from him. When when he and Evelyn would come and, and stay in our home, of course, my wife and I, we were, we were like, you know, kids around them. Giddy, <laughs> you know. And uh, I mean, this is Oral Roberts and Evelyn Roberts. I mean, they, they're known around the world. This man laid hands personally on over 2 million people. And the healings and the miracles that happened in his meetings are just phenomenal. And and he was one of my dear friends, and he would come and stay in my home. And so Carolyn and I would have plans that we wanted to do with him. And so one of the things we we'd do, we'd say, "No, Brother Roberts, Evelyn, uh, we want to take you to lunch tomorrow at one of our favorite restaurants here in Fort Worth, and uh, we want to we want to treat you to a, a nice meal." Brother Roberts would say, "If you insist." And then we'd get through eating. I'd say, no, Brother Roberts, we, we want to take you and Evelyn to Neiman Marcus. And Carolyn's going to buy Evelyn a, a nice dress and I'm going to buy you a new suit. And he'd say, if you insist. Everything I wanted to do for him, if you insist. I learned that from him. And so now I tell God, when he says, son, I'm going to open my hand and pour out blessings upon you that there shall not be room enough to contain, contain. I say, if you insist. (laughs) Amen. Amen. I think you ought to lift your hands and say, Lord, if you insist. Then say this, just help yourself. (laughs) Amen. Amen. When God opens his hand, it is full of blessings. Amen. I like the sound of that. Now, um, I also heard the Lord say this during that time. He said, to experience what I want to do, then obviously it's going to require faith on the part of my people. He said, a lot of my people don't realize how closely associated faith and expectancy are. Real Bible faith expects God to do something. When I hear people say, we're just living by faith. And I say, what are you expecting God to do? Well, you never know what God will do. Then that's not real Bible faith. Because real Bible faith expects. And he said, they they talk about faith, but they don't really expect me to do it. And then I read the same verse from the Amplified Bible. And it says, uh, verse 15, the eyes of all wait upon thee. In the Amplified, it says, looking, watching, and expecting. Looking, watching, and expecting. That is a key to experiencing the open hand of God. Are you looking for it? Are you watching for it? Are you expecting it? I do. God does this for me, not because I'm so good. He does it for me because he's so good. Amen. My attitude when I first came to the Lord, way back there, 1969, and I started studying the Bible, and I started finding out all these wonderful promises, I said to the Lord one day, I stood up, yeah, we had a, a guest bedroom, and I had turned it into my study, where I'd I'd spend hours studying the Word. I'd shut my business down. And the Lord said, if you will give me the same dedication, studying my Word that you gave to that business, in three months, your life will never be the same. So I did. I spent no less than eight hours a day studying the Word for three months. And while I was in there, and I started discovering these promises, I held my Bible up one day, just like this. I can see myself doing it right now. And I'm about three months old in the Lord. I said, God, if you didn't mean what you said in this book, tell me now. Because if you did mean what you said in this book, then I'm going for it. And I am not giving up until it happens. Now there wasn't a hand come out of heaven and slap me. How dare you talk to me like that? In fact, I think he had a smile on his face. I think he looked, I think he looked down and he nudged Jesus, who's on the right hand, and said, Look, we got another one who believes us. See, I didn't have any religious background. I didn't know any better than just believe what God said. See, I hadn't been to church yet. I just started believing what God said. I started going to church and they told me it passed away, but they were too late. It's working. You know, when it's working for you and they tell you it won't work and it's passed away, they're too late. Amen. And so notice here, he said, expecting or looking, watching and expecting. I expect God to do what he says. And consequently, he does. He confirms his word with signs following. Can you say amen? amen. Anybody in here looking, watching, and expecting the open hand of God this year? Yes. Lift both hands and say, that's me he's talking about. Say, yes. so I'm looking for it. I'm watching for it. I'm watching. And I'm expecting it. Yes. Now, how do people act When they truly expect something, do they walk around with their head down? Do they walk around with a sad expression on their face? Or do they walk around with a smile on their face, a jump in their step and a shout in their voice? Amen. When I was a little boy, as I said, my dad raced automobiles and I loved being with my dad. He represented everything I wanted to be. And when dad would come home from work and he'd say, son, We're going to the races tomorrow. Be up at seven o'clock, be dressed. We're going to the races. I would dress that night, (laughs) sleep in what I was going to wear the next day because I didn't want to waste any time. I was expectant because dad said, we're going to the races in the morning. And that, that was one of my favorite things to do. And boy, when he said, now be up and ready to go at seven, I was in there at six o'clock waiting on my dad. He said, boy, did you sleep last night? I said, barely. (laughs) He said, what's that big smile on your face? I said, we're going to the races. I was expecting. When I see my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, a smile comes to my face. A jump in my step. Amen. Why? Because if God didn't mean that, he shouldn't have said it. Yes. Because once I see it, I'm going for it. And if I'm going for it, then I'm expecting it to happen. So why not have a smile on your face? Amen. Yes. Can I give you a testimony? Yes. I'm going to anyway. <laughs> I want to hear it again myself. <clears throat> when, I, when I went into ministry starting back in the latter part of 69, the church my wife grew up in, and I started going to that church, um, the pastor announced that on New Year's Eve, we were going to have a guest speaker, and he considered this man to be a prophet. And And pastor knew a lot of great men, and uh, he considered this man to be a, a prophet. And he announced to the church that I've invited this prophet to be our guest, our keynote speaker during the watch night service. We're, all, we're, going, we're, going to, we're going to meet on December the 31st, 1969, and we're going to watch the new year come in. And he called it a watch night service. I, I asked my wife, I said, what's a watch night service? She said, we're going to have church all night. I said, you're kidding. <laughs> church all night? We're going to watch the new year come in. I said, Well, what are we going to do? And he said, We're going to meet at seven o'clock. What are we going to do for five or six hours? And she said, Well, uh, there will be a lot of singing. The, the choir will do specials. There will be special singers. Uh, there will be what she called sermonettes from different people, testimonies. And he said, And she said, And then he's going to turn it over to the guest speaker, whom he said was a prophet. And he'll take us into the new year. Well, after she got describing it, I could hardly wait. So we get there to that service, and there was there was close to 700 people in that service. And uh, uh, they did everything Carolyn said they was going to do, and then they turned it over to this man that Pastor considered to be a prophet, and he gave us a, a wonderful message. And then he said, in prayer, God told me to lay hands on every man in this church. And said, uh, God's gonna do something for the men in this church this year. And He's told me to lay hands on every man. And He said, Now, I'm gonna stand here, and Pastor is gonna stand opposite of me, facing me, and every man in this church get up and get in a line, forming around the walls of the church, and you're gonna come and walk between us, and we both are gonna lay hands on you. I may have a word from the Lord for you I may not but we're going to pray for you and you just keep moving till we, till we pray for every man well there had to be at least 200 men in that service or more so we all got up and formed a line around the wall now I'm way over here and I'm standing patiently and now I know why we're having this service past midnight it's going to take all night to do this <laughs> so we're slowly moving forward and he, he would pray for some, have a word for some, and they just keep moving. And now I'm next. And I, I'm you know, I've never been in a service like this before. So I walk up there, and the prophet lays his hand on my on the right side of my head, and the pastor lays his hand on the left side of my head. All of a sudden, the prophet says, "Airplanes, airplanes, airplanes," and Pastor said, oh, yes, fly, fly, fly. I don't have a clue what this means. (laughs) So I started to walk off, and he said, no, wait a minute, young man, come back, there's more. So I turned around, went back, prophet laid his hand on my head, pastor laid his hand on my head, and the prophet said again, airplanes, airplanes, airplanes. Pastor said, oh, yeah, Jerry, fly, fly, fly. (laughs) I still don't know what any of this means. So I walked off. No, 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 wait a minute, there's more, there's more. So I backed up this time. <clears throat> airplanes, airplanes, airplanes. Fly, fly, fly. So I just stood there and said, you can go now. So I asked my wife. See, back in those days, Carolyn and the Holy Ghost were one and the same because she'd been filled with him more than, longer than I had, Okay. So she knew all the answers. I said, what did that mean? She said, what sounds like to me, boy, you're going to spend the rest of your life with airplanes, 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 and you're going to fly, fly, fly. (laughs) Well, I went home that night. Now, this is January the 1st, 1970. And I went home that night, and the Lord had taught me to journal everything he said to me. So I got my journal out, dated it, January the 1st, 1970. The prophet said, airplanes, airplanes, airplanes. And pastor said, fly, fly, fly. I said, Lord, what does all this mean? He said, son, there'll come a time when you will not be able to fulfill what I've called you to do without airplanes in your ministry. And he said, I want you to start believing for them now when you don't need them. So when you do need them, they'll be there. I wrote all that in my journal. That was 1970. And then he added this. And I don't want you ever flying airplanes with debt on them. Believe for airplanes debt free. How am I going to believe for a debt free airplane? Everything I had had debt on it. I was paying notes on the cars, paying notes on the truck. I was paying notes on the house. I paid notes on the TV. I think we still had three more payments on the broom. Everything we had was in debt. <laughs> and now he's talking debt-free airplanes? But I wrote it down, fearing and trembling, you know. And then I moved to Fort Worth to go to work with Brother Copeland. And he was a pilot. He had been a commercial pilot, a charter pilot, before he went into ministry. And now I'm flying around with him, setting up in the cockpit. His first airplane was a little single-engine Skyline, Cessna Skylane. Wasn't much faster than a lawnmower with wings. And, <laughs> but, but we put it around, you know, in that thing. And then the Lord blessed him with his second airplane. He got rid of the, the little Skyline. And he got a little Cessna twin engine, 310. And it would go higher and fly faster and go further. And I'm setting up the cockpit with him. Well, setting up the cockpit with him, every once in a while, he would teach me. And he'd say, take the yoke. And I'd take the yoke from the right side. And he's telling me how to fly, teaching me how to fly. Well, it didn't take long. I got the book. I wanted to learn, take lessons myself, okay? So I started taking lessons and then while I was still working with him as an employee his third airplane came. He had given the little 310 away to another minister and God blessed him now with a Cessna 414 cabin class turbocharged as we say in the south we are in high cotton now. Man, We could get on up above a lot of the weather fly a lot faster and so forth and we're sitting up there in the cockpit of this 414 and and then it came time for me to launch out into my own ministry and still remain a team with Brother Copeland and I, I was hesitant to launch out but the Lord said no I want you to be able to cover twice as much territory with the same message and you can't do that if you stay employed by him full time but you'll still be a team And so I left his organization. My last day was December the 31st, 1973, and launched out into this ministry, January the 1st, 1974. Now, I'm traveling all over America and driving a Ford station wagon. Got my family with me. Got what little sound system we had back in those days. And we're we're traveling all over America. America just preaching wherever I was invited to preach. And then it came a time where I couldn't get to all the places I was invited to preach, not driving a car. I reminded the Lord, you said, start believing for that airplane back when I didn't need it. And when I need it, it would come. I said, Lord, this would be a wonderful opportunity for that first airplane to manifest. Remember I said first, because he said, airplanes, 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 fly, fly, fly. That's plural. <laughs> My first debt-free airplane came in 1975. A little Cessna 310. My first trip in it was Saint Simon Island, Georgia. I I, I I was beside myself. I'm sitting up there in this 310 that I own. The ministry owned. God gave it to me. Debt-free. I'm pinching myself. I'm thinking as I flew over other airports, I wonder how many of those airplanes are debt free down there. Look what the Lord has done. And I flew that airplane for a year and then the Lord said, sow it. And I sowed it. I was without an airplane for a few months. Then my second airplane came. Bigger, better, faster. I kept it for several, a couple of years, two or three years, and I sewed it, and then a bigger, better, faster airplane came. The story of my life over the last 53 years has been, you could describe it with these words, airplanes, 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 <laughs> fly, 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 amen. Flew up here today in a, in a Cessna Citation Five jet. 42,000 feet, over 450 miles an hour. That's the reason my hair is still standing up. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> but the testimony I wanted to get to was this. Now I'm an in international ministry. I have offices in other nations, I have staff in other nations. I've been traveling overseas since 1978 but I don't just go and preach I'm a a planter I plant churches I plant Bible schools I plant orphanages I built medical facilities all over the world and because of my travel all over the world it came time for us to have our own international jet because a lot of the places I go like in Africa The airlines, commercial airlines, don't even service some of those areas. I'll fly to Nairobi and then have to get in a car and drive another two or three, four, five, six hours to the bush. And there might be airports nearby, but the commercial airlines don't go to them. So I started believing for a international jet to cover all of my international travel. And I started believing for this airplane 20 years ago. I said, Lord, what what kind of international jet do you want me to have? And a friend of mine who, who, who actually worked for me and was a pilot, he told me, Brother Jerry, you ought to pray about a Falcon 50. I said, I don't know much about Falcon 50s. He said, well, I've flown them. They are fine airplanes. It'll take you anywhere in the world. I said, where can I look at them? He said, they're built in France. He said, but there's a plant in Little Rock, Arkansas, and they'll bring them from France as a shell, and then they go through the plant in Little Rock, and when they come out on the other end, they're a finished product, and they're ready to sell in the U.S. market. I said, well, let's go to Little Rock and check them out. So a pastor friend of mine in Little Rock, he had somebody work, working four Falcon, an executive, and he agreed to give me a VIP tour. And when we got there, we, we went right at the beginning and went all the way through that plant from start to finish. By the time I got to the finish, I was convinced this is the airplane for, for us. This is exactly what I need. So that was 20 years ago. We sowed seed for it. Every ministry that I heard was believing for a International aircraft, I sowed seed in it. Because you can't have a harvest without seed. Okay? And we sowed seed, sowed seed. I sowed seed in Brother Copeland's airplane. Uh, I sowed seed in other ministries' airplanes. Wouldn't you know, just like God, in September of 2020, during a pandemic, when everybody's screaming, worst of times, worst of times, my Falcon 50 manifesting. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Debt free, praise God. I not only have a Citation 5, I have a Falcon 52.
1: <laughs>
0: Touch me, Pastor.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Keep coming with you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> It'll take me anywhere in the world, anywhere in the world. Hallelujah. When God opens his hand, it's full of blessings. But do you expect it? I expect it. Now, I almost hear somebody thinking out loud, what's a preacher need with two airplanes? Well, you don't do what I do. I have spent, before this pandemic, I have spent 22 days out of every month preaching all over the world for over 50 years. And you ask me why I need an airplane? I tell you why, because I have a family that loves to see me every once in a while. I have a wife that loves me. I have two daughters that love me. I have nine grandchildren that love me. I have a great granddaughter that thinks I hung the moon. And that's why I can go anywhere in the world and preach and plant and get in my airplane and fly back and be with my family for a few days and then go do it all over again, praise Amen. God. Hallelujah. I'm talking about the goodness of God. Amen. How many of you can say, God is, good"? God is good? Now the Bible says, from the Passion Translation, when he opens his hand, it is full of blessings. Amen. Uh, a friend of mine, he's going home to be with the Lord now, His name was Buddy Harrison. He was Kenneth Hagin's son-in-law. And Buddy used to say this. He had a sermon he preached. Get under the spout where the glory comes out. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Get under the spout where the glory comes out. How do you get under the spout? Looking, watching, and expecting. Remember Jesus saying on several occasions to various people, be it unto thee according to your faith. You could say it like this and mean the same thing. Be it unto thee according to your expectancy. Be it unto thee according to your expectancy. And I say this as humbly as I know how, and I say it to the glory of God. Everything I've ever expected since I've become a Christian, God has made it happen. Not only that, but because Ephesians 3.20 says, he does superabundant above all we can ask or think. I expect it. He made it happen, but he made it happen even better than I expected. Amen. Hallelujah. That's the God I serve. Is that the same God you serve? Yes. Now, listen to this, and I'm, I know we're getting late, and I'll wrap it up. I hadn't even got past page one yet. <laughs> listen at listen verse 19 from the Passion Translation. Let me, let me read it from the King James. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. Now the Passion Translation says, every godly one receives even more than what they ask for. Why? Because he's the God of more than enough. He'll not only bless you, but he'll bless you with more than enough. You know the prayer that my wife and I pray all the time. The apostle Paul said that God not only multiplies seed sown, but He's the provider of seed. The Amplified says He will increase your resources for sowing. And that's that's the prayer that Carol and I pray, Lord. You've taken good care of us. If there's any prayer we'd like to present to you today is this. Give us more seed for sowing. Because we're debt free. We don't owe anybody personally. Our ministries don't owe anybody anywhere in the world. So our money doesn't go for interest. It doesn't go for our our largest Household expense is our giving, our giving. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, give us more seed for sowing. Hallelujah. And he not only does it, but because he's a God of more than enough, he gives more than what we ask. And you can't outgive God. You know, uh, Ten years into the ministry, the Lord started giving back to me the things that I used to be passionate about before I went in the ministry. Classic cars, motorcycles. I I rode them, I drove them, I worked on them all my young life. And I walked away from all that when I went in the ministry. And 10 years into the ministry, the Lord said to me, take what once was your passion and turn it into a tool for evangelism. And he started giving me motorcycles back. And I formed... A Christian biker organization called the Chariots of Light Christian Bikers. There's a couple of our members. Stand up and show them our patch. Amen. And through that, through that outreach, in the last 20 years alone, we have won over 400,000 people to Christ just through the motorcycle ministry. Amen. We got, we got teams going into all the major secular rallies in the country. They're getting ready to go to Bike Week Daytona. And it, will, it, it, it never ceases to amaze me. They give me reports at the end of winning 9,000, 10,000 people to Christ. They go to Sturgis, which is the largest biker rally in the country. Sometimes they'll have over 700,000 bikers. And our team goes in there right in the middle of them. And favor? Oh, dear God, do we have favor. They allow us to set up our church light tent right next to the Harley Davidson dealership and everybody wants to go to the Harley place. And they got to pass our tent to get there. And it's not unusual for Bill to give me, our national director, a report at the end of the rally. We won 15,000 people to Christ during Sturgis. Isn't that amazing? And then... Uh, the classic cars. Uh, God's blessed me with classic cars, and I take them to car shows and 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 win people to Christ. People have been healed and delivered and set free. One guy parked his '56 Chevrolet next to my '57 convertible, and he was dying of cancer. And he told his wife, he said, "The doctor said I got six months to live, and if I've only got six months to live." I'm going to do for the next six months what I've been wanting to do all my life. I'm going to buy a classic car and I'm going to the car shows. And he just happened to park next to me. He had a beautiful 56 Chevrolet. I've got a, a, a 57 convertible that out of a thousand points, it usually gets 980 points. And it usually wins best of show. And I use it as a tool. And he parked next to me. He come over there and said, has the best looking 57 convertible I've ever seen. I said, that 56 you got's not bad at all either. He said, uh, I asked him, I said, how long have you been collecting classic cars? He said, this is my first one. And he told me his story. He said, I'm dying in six months of cancer. And that's why I got a classic car and that's why I'm here. I said, well, sir, it's not a coincidence that you parked next to me. I'm a preacher and I've prayed for cancer victims all over the world. Do you mind if I pray for you? He said, not at all. And he started crying. I laid hands on him, prayed for him. We went through the rest of the show. He won best of class. I won best of show. And then nine months later, one of the Chevrolet dealerships in Fort Worth asked me to bring my car to a car show they were doing. And I'm sitting there waiting for the judges to come by. And this man comes up by me and he says, hey, you remember me? I said, you look familiar, I can't think, I'm sorry, I don't remember your name. He said, I'm the guy you prayed for that only had six months to live. Nine months have passed and I got a clean bill of health. God healed me, hallelujah. Amen. So, the classic cars are winning souls. The motorcycles are winning souls. Even my airplanes win souls. Why? Because I got some of the finest ones. Amen. God has blessed me. And he uses everything as a tool to win people to Christ. Amen. The God I'm serving is a good God. He's a way maker as we sing about tonight. I want to encourage you tonight. Forgive me for keeping you so long. It's about almost nine o'clock. But I promise when we get to heaven, I'll give you this time back. And... uh, (laughs) I want to encourage you tonight. Take what I said. Study Psalm 145. And there's other verses you can go to about the open hand of God. I didn't have time to cover it all tonight. But make a quality decision that you're not just going to hear the message and then go home and forget about it. Take it into your heart. God wants to open his hand to you, just like he's opened his hand to me. He's no respecter of persons. Amen. But he expects you to look for it, watch for it, and expect it. Amen. Talk it among yourselves, husbands and wives. Get up in the morning and say, Did you know this is the year that God is going to open his hand and pour out on our lives? supernatural, extraordinary and unusual provision. And don't just say it for a week or two, keep talking it, keep talking it. I encourage people back home, when it happens, send me the testimony because your testimonies inspire other people, praise God. And we're getting so many testimonies. Now I'm gonna close it with this. I love closing, it's my favorite thing to do. Sometimes I do it three, four times. (laughs) I learned that from the Apostle Paul. Don't you you remember what he said? Finally, my brethren wrote a whole nother chapter. (laughs) I carry these prayer cloths around with me when I preach. Based on Acts chapter 19. We've had extraordinary miracles take place with prayer cloths. The Bible says in Acts 19 that clothing was taken from Paul's body. And those in whom they were laid upon were healed of diseases and evil spirits left them. But the verse just before that says, and God wrought special miracles. Anybody in here tonight that you need a major breakthrough? I've been carrying these around with me the whole service. And the anointing of God is on them. Amen. Now, there's no virtue in the cloth. It's the Bible principle. Amen? It's the Bible principle. We've had miracles happen all over the world by doing this. And the Lord impressed upon me coming into 2022. He said, Lord, he said, son, you stop carrying prayer clothes with you when you preach. Pick that up again carry them around with you in your pocket while you preach and allow people to take them. And so I'm just going to leave them here on the platform and I I encourage you just take one because there may be other people that would like one as well and uh, hold that in your hand and walk around the house and say Lord, this is my year to experience the open hand of God supernatural, extraordinary, and unusual manifestations and provisions, and I'm believing for the greatest breakthroughs I've ever experienced. And just use that as a point of contact. Amen. The little woman said, if I but touch his clothes, I shall be made whole. This is just a point of contact. Old Roberts taught me this 50 years ago. The point of contact is something you, you use to release your faith amen. Jesus used a point of contact. One time he spit on the ground, made a spittle of clay and put it in a man's eye as a point of contact. And the man received sight. Amen. A point of contact. So that's all this is. A point of contact showing that you are looking, watching and expecting God to open his hand to you this year. And experience supernatural, extraordinary, unusual provision. If you receive it, give the Lord your best shout. Hallelujah. Come on, stand up with me if you will. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, hold on. Be nice. We don't want Christians fighting over prayer clause. Amen. So, I don't know how many. There's probably 50 or so there. But... uh, when pastor gives you the liberty to take them, help yourself. And if you didn't get one and you wanted one, contact our office because I carry them with me all the time. And we keep them on the, in our church that I, that I don't pass out when I'm traveling. And people pick them up at the church. And once again, we're getting some of the greatest testimonies of breakthroughs that I've ever heard. Praise God. Thank you so much for being so attentive tonight. It's been a joy sharing with you. Pastor, thank you for the invitation. Amen.
1: I'm taking the first one. (laughs) Have you had a good time? Is God not good? Amen. I got to tell you, the word the Lord gave me this year was see further, go further, move the stakes, and expect. And, I, and so when you were doing that I was like Lord this is so good so good listen we want to we want to bless this ministry so the church isn't keeping any of this this offering that's coming now so I just want you to know this is going for dr. Savell and the ministry to go wherever around the world and all of that so if you want to help with that the ushers are going to help you make if you would help me uh, help him make your check you if you have a check and you want to make it out to true life church we're going to do the whole thing and i'm going to turn all that over and give one check to dr Savell, or you know you can just put in the basket however you would like to do that and then obviously the table's going to be open uh, out in the foyer there and uh and we just believe in god with you we just love you we thank you so much for being here so let's pray over this offering all right and again you want to harvest let's let's sow let's sow okay Father, in the name of Jesus, this this money that we hold, it's your money. And God, we sow it willingly. And we thank you, Lord, for return. We thank you for a hundredfold. God, we thank you that this money is going to be used for your kingdom. And God, this is the year for us. We sow it believing for an open hand, for your provision. In Jesus' name. Come on, somebody. Everybody say amen. 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 Amen.